Advent. Welcome to Revelation Church. We started last week talking about what Advent means. It means coming or arrival, and it's this season four weeks leading up to Christmas where we contemplate and reflect on the coming of Christ uh, as we read the story in the Gospels. And then we also look forward to the coming again of Christ one day to finish what he started and bring his kingdom in full. We talked about how this is, this is a story. This is, this is the vast story of Scripture. It is the story of the, I think, just the very fabric of the universe we live in. It's an old story that's told every year in Christian churches, but it's also a story for today, a story for every one of us to take into our hearts. As we continue through this story, we're breaking up the story into four different chapters. Last week, we talked about a chapter that we called The Fallen Warrior. We looked at the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the story where, where human beings, Adam and Eve, they, they fall. They, 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 they break their promises to God and they sin, and God promises this warrior will come and he will destroy the enemy At the end of this four-week series, we're going to do something that we do fairly often, which is a question and response. Um, if you have questions about the texts that we cover each week, um, save them. You can text them in after the sermon on the 22nd, and we will answer some of your questions, hopefully. So last week, we talked about uh, what, we, what we called the fallen warrior, and we, we looked at three different areas of the book of Genesis, and we talked about how the book of Genesis starts with this idea of the good life. Everything is good and beautiful and perfect, and God is, is big and great and good and grand, and he's all over the pages. And then he makes people, and human beings are special in God's sight. We looked at a couple other um, ancient texts from different cultures and how the Babylonians and the Egyptians would have viewed themselves as creations of God and they would have viewed themselves as slaves of the deity or, or livestock of God. But God in Genesis says, no, no, you are my co-rulers. You are created in my image. You are made like me and you are here to rule the world alongside me on my behalf. But then we saw that the serpent, the great enemy of God, comes and deceives Eve, lies to her about God's care for her, and she believes him, and Adam and Eve are unfaithful. They, they break their covenant relationship with God, and they, they sin, they go their own way, they choose to go after life apart from their relationship with God. And this results immediately in broken relationships. They hide from God. They're ashamed of one another. And ultimately, God says it ends in death. And this is the world that we inherit from Adam and Eve, a world filled with death. But in the midst of this, God says, there is coming someone who will crush the head of the serpent, who will defeat the enemy. And in the process of crushing the head of the serpent, he will have his heel bit. He will die at the hand of the serpent. And we looked forward to Jesus, how Jesus came and he defeated death through his own death. 
This week, if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, it's uh, page 167 in the Pew Bible. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 18. We're calling chapter 2, The Trustworthy Prophet. I don't know how often many of you spend time in Deuteronomy. It's a cool book. We're not going to get very far. Uh, But we'll talk about kind of the backstory in a minute. Um, My wife and I have been married for 17 years. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? (laughs) Um, When we got married, we didn't take our honeymoon right away. We waited about a month, and we went to Thailand. And it was really romantic. Um, I took a really good friend and his wife and another really good friend who was single and that first friend's mom with us on our honeymoon. We went to Thailand, and uh, we spent about three weeks in Thailand. We went, two weeks we spent in northern Thailand working at an orphanage, doing outreach work in some villages, and then we spent about a week in southern Thailand hanging out on the beach. But it was kind of a missions trip. We went with, there were six of us. Um, and uh, we had a really good time in Thailand. But the reason, I think, one of the reasons we had such a good time is because we took my buddy Josh with us. And some of you know Josh. Josh is one of the pastors at Anthem Church. And Josh is just a great guy. But Josh had spent a couple years living in Thailand. And so he knew a lot about Thailand. He spoke the language. He knew where all the good restaurants were. He knew all about the culture and the people. And if we... We didn't have him with us. We probably could have figured it out. We could have got a guidebook. We could have maybe, you know, talked to some people in some broken English. Google Translate was not a thing back then. But the fact that we had a relationship with somebody that knew the world that we were going into meant that our experience was so much better. There's this one point in the, in the trip where we all decided to go get Thai massages. And that is not... That is not something that I think sounds fun. But I went. Um, Josh's mom stayed back at the orphanage. So there were five of us. And we were all lined up on these mats. And there were these old Thai women. And they were just, oh, man, it was painful. They were like, take your leg and twist it and turn it and, like, put all their body weight on you and pull your elbow over. And I don't know. Somebody thought it felt good. But through this experience, they're all talking to one, each, one another in Thai. And they don't know that Josh can speak Thai. And so throughout the course of the conversation, they decide that our single friend, Mike, this blonde-haired American 20-something, he would make a good match for one of their daughters. And so they're devising this plan to get the daughter in in some kind of uh, situation where Mike would notice her and then hopefully marry her and take her back to America and uh, and so Josh just starts laughing, and he tells Mike that they're planning his wedding, and they, they know enough English that they realize that he can understand them, and they're just uh, shocked by this and so embarrassed, and it was really funny, but we saved Mike from a lot of heartache, I think, that day, because we had Josh with us. <laughs> See, we're a people, you and I, who are born into an unknown world. I mean, we have, we have parents, we have siblings, we have friends who have a few years on us, but 
all in all, we don't know what we're doing on this planet. We talked last week about Adam and Eve. While they were adults, they were children. They didn't have a lot of time in this world, and they needed help. As we are just like them, we get to this place, and we grow up a little, and we have questions. We start asking things like, why do I exist? What's the point of this life? Maybe we, we come into a, a religious uh, community, a church or something, and we say, like, what does God want from me? And all these big questions, they're related to the fact that we're all kind of strangers here. We, all, we don't really know what the rules are. We don't really know the language, as it were. If only we had a relationship with someone who knew something about this world, we would be better off. We could use their wisdom and they could guide us and we could figure out kind of what we're supposed to be doing on this planet. So we're going to talk about this idea of the trustworthy prophet this morning. We're going to break this chapter up into three different scenes. Hold your finger in Deuteronomy because we're not there yet. We've got a lot of ground to cover between Genesis and Deuteronomy. The first scene we're going to talk about, we're going to call deliverance. If you know the story of the Exodus, if you've seen the Charlton Heston movie or uh, the Prince of Egypt cartoon or even that one Rugrats episode, it's classic. The people of God are captive in Egypt. These are the people that, that God has come to and said, your family, I pick you guys. I'm going to use you to bring about my promises. I'm going to put human beings, image bearers of God on the throne of the world, and they're going to rule and reign beside me, and I'm going to use your family to do it. You're going to be my special people. But they find themselves enslaved in Egypt. They find themselves captive. They are in a very different culture than they're used to, and they're in bondage. They're exiles. They're foreigners. They're unloved, and they're even feared by their captors. And I have to imagine that if, if you, you were an Israelite in that situation, you would be asking yourself or, or saying to yourself, surely this is not supposed to be how God, how God wants me to live my life. Surely this is not supposed to be how life is supposed to work. I thought, I thought we were special. I thought God loved us. Why are these things happening to me? It's, it's Christmas time, and that means it's time to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Who likes It's a Wonderful Life? About half of you. I do not like It's a Wonderful Life. And the reason I do not like It's a Wonderful Life is because I want George Bailey to win. I, I do. I want him to travel the world. I want him to see all the things that he wants to see. I want him to have material wealth. I want his business to succeed. And over and over and over again, that doesn't happen. He, he gives himself away to others. He has just random things happen to him. And I know that's the point of the movie, right? That, that his life is so good and the, the things that he's 
done for others in his situation is so beautiful and wonderful that he didn't have to succeed. His, his life was incredibly meaningful even though he missed out on those things that he thought he wanted. But I still wanted him to win because I want me to win, right? Like, I, does anybody feel that way? That like, I want to be successful. I want to see the world. I want things to go well for me. And, and even though there's a bigger and a better and a greater maybe, I just kind of want what I want. And I feel like it's in these, these circumstances where those big questions come back up. Like, why, why do I exist? What is the point of this? Why are we doing what we're doing? And the people in Israel are captive and they're disappointed. But then we see that salvation comes. Yahweh, the name that God gives to Moses for himself. He comes to Moses, this deliverer, and he, he says, you are going to speak for me and you are going to save these people. You are going to lead them out from among the Egyptians. And he shows up and he wages war against the gods of Egypt. This is what's going on in the account of the plagues. There are specific deities in Egypt that each one of the plagues is mocking. Because Yahweh is saying, I am greater than all of your pathetic gods. And he leads them out of captivity to this place, this foot of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And this is when we get to scene two. Scene two is called Covenant. God brings them out of Egypt. He claims them as his own special people. So the question is, what did they deserve? What did they do to deserve to be rescued? They didn't do anything, did they? Nothing at all. This is called grace. This is God giving himself to people just because he wants to. And this is something that we see over and over and over and over again in the story. People are broken. They are sinful. They are even evil and in rebellion to God. And God pursues them. God goes after them. And this is the idea of covenant. Covenant is a word that we don't use a lot. Covenant is different than contract. We're pretty familiar with contracts. Contracts are built on services rendered. Covenants are built on relationships. When you update your phone, there's like a 60-page file that pops up that's the terms and the conditions, and you say, yes, I read that, even though no one, none of you did. That's a contract, and it's Apple or Google or Samsung saying, we're going to let you use our software, and you're not going to do, I don't even know what you're not going to do, because I didn't read it either. When you have a cell phone bill, you have a contract with your carrier that says, we will provide you with data, and you will give us money. And when the time comes that you quit giving us money, we are going to quit providing you with data. Covenants are different. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is not two people coming together and saying, you treat me well, I like you a lot, you're fun, I'm going to bind myself to you so that you can give me good stuff for the rest of my life. That's not the way marriage works. It's the exact opposite of that. It's two people who come together and say, I love you and I am binding myself to you to give myself away to you for the rest of my life. 
Contracts are self-facing. What do I get out of this arrangement? Covenants are others-facing. What can I give away in this arrangement? And so God makes a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. He says, I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people, and I'm going to care for you and protect you and love you, and the plan of salvation is going to come through you. And then after this, we get the law. All the, all the books when you start your reading plan in January, when you kind of get bogged down at the end of Exodus and Leviticus, that's the law. And it's this catalog of ways to live life. God teaches the Israelites about him. He teaches them how to love their neighbors and share God's love with them. And he teaches them how to get the most out of the life that they've been given. And what's important about covenant and the law is that the instruction on how to live comes after the covenant. It comes after the relationship has been established. This is so important. This is so important for the Israelites back then, and it's so important for us to understand now. If you are here today and you're thinking, I need to do these eight things, I need to act this way, I need to accomplish that, and then God will love me, that's not how it works. God already loves you. God pursues you. God sent his son to die for you. God is extending his hand in covenant for you. And only after that relationship is established, he says, now here's how you should live in this world that I've made. Not because I don't like you, but because I love you and I want you to prosper. You do not earn God's love, respect, and care by your obedience. God already loves you. So that brings us to scene three. We're going to talk about wisdom. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, um, the Israelites are planning to go into the land that God has promised them. They've, they've left Mount Sinai. They've, they've had some bumps along the road that took about 40 years to work out. But now they're ready. They're going to go into the land that God has promised them. And, but Moses isn't going. Moses is going to die before they get there. And so he's kind of giving this farewell speech to the people. And look what he says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. When you enter the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a spiritist, or inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord, and the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though these nations you are about to drive out, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. The Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. This is really interesting because last week we talked about the Garden of Eden. We talked about the serpent, this spiritual being that comes to Adam and Eve and, and offers them wisdom. God doesn't care about you. Eat from the tree. Get wisdom on your own. Ignore God. Look out for yourself. And all the way these many years later, what do we see among these people? 
They're engaging with spiritual powers. They're searching for wisdom. They're ignoring God. It's the same set of circumstances. It's the same problem. All of these practices that Moses lays out are are the people trying to understand the world that they're living in. They're trying to understand how to get wisdom for themselves, direction for their lives, prosperity, power, happiness, all without Yahweh. They're asking the questions, why do I exist? What is my purpose here? Who should I marry? How can the crops prosper? Should we attack our enemies? All these questions about life, they're just looking for answers, and they're looking for answers from demons. Have you ever been coming home late and it's pitch black outside? There's no moon. The porch light didn't get turned on. The door's locked. You know there's a hole there. You know there's a key in your pocket. And it should be really, really easy to put those two things together. But for some reason, you just struggle. If only there was some light, I could see this and I could put this key in and turn this lock, but because it's dark, I just can't get it done. This is the situation that these people are in. We, we heard it read, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Well, these people are walking in darkness. They, they know that they live in this unknown world and they don't have a guide and they don't have a relationship with anyone that knows what's going on. And so they're seeking this thing and that thing and maybe that thing will work. And if I kill my child on the altar, maybe the crops will grow this year and, and whatever they can come up with to make things work. And Moses says, don't do it. Don't be like them. And notice, he doesn't say in verse 14, he says, though these nations you are about to drive out, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. That's dumb and it doesn't work. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, you are not permitted to do this. Because here's the thing, the spiritual world is real. There are plenty of beings out there that would love to show you wisdom apart from God. They would love to lead you down whatever road they can that pulls you away from a relationship with Yahweh and his son Jesus. And Moses says, don't don't do it. Don't go after them. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't, I don't do that. I don't worship false gods. I don't practice divination. I don't go see fortune tellers, and that's good. <laughs> but we, we do this kind of stuff anyway. We, we get the latest self-help book. We, we subscribe to some weird meditation technique that we found on Instagram. What's the latest diet and exercise trend? If I, if I follow this teacher or this self-help person or this motivational speaker, my life will be better. And we're constantly on the search for ways to make life work just a little better because we don't really know what we're doing. Look at verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. 
Then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and I will tell them everything I command him. So the backstory to this little exchange is this. When they get to that mountain for the very first time, to, to get this covenant with Yahweh, he actually shows up. The, the mountain is on fire. And all of the people hear his voice. And they are scared to death. It's funny, when, when you run across someone who says that, like, God shows up and he talks to me. Like, every time that happens in the Bible, it's frightening. So if you have a real nonchalant relationship with the visible Yahweh, I, I, I have doubts. <laughs> but they're frightened and they say, okay, Moses, don't let us, I don't, we don't want to hear God's voice anymore. You go up on the mountain, you talk to God, and then you come down and tell us what he says and we will listen to you. And so God said, okay, that's fine. And so this is the role that Moses takes. He becomes this prophet. He's the one that speaks on behalf of God. We should be able to go directly to God for wisdom, but we can't. Our our sinfulness, our brokenness, it gets in the way. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing they did? They hid from God. Because there was something in them that they couldn't be in front of their creator anymore. And we're still living in that world that we inherited from Adam. And so the people say, give us an intermediary. Give us someone that speaks on behalf of God, but is like us. And this was Moses, the prophet. But then Moses just said in this passage that someday another prophet, a prophet like me is coming and you should listen to him. This greater prophet will come and he will speak the words of God to the people. And the people of God remember this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. To the point that when we get to the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, John the Apostle, who wrote the Gospel of John, is talking about John the Baptist, who is a different John. And John... 119, he writes, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? See, John is a prophet. He's out in the middle of the desert yelling at people and eating bugs, and it's weird, and he gains the attention of the religious leaders, and so they send people out and go, okay, who are you? What's going on? And he didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the coming one that we're all looking for. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Because at this point in Israel's history, they had expected the prophet, this one that Moses talked about, is coming back, the one that speaks for God, that will tell us what we need to know. Later on, in the book of Acts, after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and launched his church, Peter is speaking in Acts 3, starting in verse 20, and he says, Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah, heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. 
Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything that he tells you. See, Peter says, Jesus is that prophet. The great prophet that Moses talked about is Jesus. Jesus is the trustworthy prophet. Jesus is the one that can speak God's words because Jesus is God himself. But we can understand him, we can approach him because he is a human being. He can communicate wisdom to us. He can teach us about himself. He can teach us about how God's love should be shared with the world. And he can teach us how to get the most out of the life that God has given us. But just like all of the wisdom that we got from my friend Josh, wisdom from Christ comes from relationship with him. We can't, we can't get what we need from Jesus if we don't know Jesus. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 19. Moses says, I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. Moses says, we will be judged by whether or not we listen to the words of this prophet. And listen doesn't just mean hear, it means obey. This prophet is coming, this one that speaks for God, and he's going to have a message, and we're all liable to listen to him. Peter in Acts even says that those that don't listen to him will be cut off from their people. That's pretty heavy. But there, it kind of makes sense if the ethic of Jesus, if what, if what he says about the way the world works really is the best way to live our lives, because like the book of Colossians says, he created this world that we live in and he knows. And if he says, hey, you should give yourself away for other people. You should seek to be the lowest. You should take what you earn and be generous with it. You should be kind even to your enemies. If all these things that Jesus says are really the best way to live our lives and we ignore him, the natural consequences of that is gonna be pain and brokenness. This is, this is what parents know. We teach our children, don't touch the hot stove not because we want them to be miserable. There's so much fun to be had at the hot stove and we're trying to keep you from it. My youngest, what did she touch the other day? Was it a pot? I don't know. She came into, she came into my room and she's holding her hand and it's all red. And, and what happened? I touched the hot pot on the stove. I was like, well, how did that feel? It hurts. I know, we told you not to do it. Are you going to do it again? No. Okay, good. If Jesus says, this is how I want you to live your life because I love you and I want what's best for you, and we go, I don't care, I don't want to do that, it's going to result in pain and brokenness. But there's more to it than that. See, Jesus' words are God's words. To disregard Jesus is to thumb your nose at God and to count yourself his enemy. And we learned last week in Genesis that, that God is going to defeat his enemies. 
God is not going to rest until his plan for the world, which is his human image bearers ruling and reigning alongside him in a perfect universe, has been completed. And there are only two sides to that. There's God's side and the enemy's side. And if we reject God, then the only option is that we are standing in the way of his good kingdom. And God will defeat his enemies. We see this when we read at the end of the story. Remember, Advent is about the coming of Christ, but it's also about the coming again of Christ. Jesus is going to return, and if you read the book of Revelation, Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, and it's good, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful, but only those people that belong to him are part of it. There is no place for anyone who has rejected the Son. So where, where are you at this morning? What's going on in your life? Are you, are you feeling like the Israelites in Egypt? Like this is not how life was supposed to work. I, I thought it was going to be better than this. Why are these things happening to me? Are you, you feel like the Canaanites in Deuteronomy? Just looking for whatever you can to figure out life. Maybe this thing will satisfy. Maybe if I try this other thing over here, I will find wisdom. If you call yourself a a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's wisdom is available to you. If you're confused, if you're unsure of your direction, if you need someone who knows this place to guide you, This is one of the promises of Advent, that the the trustworthy prophet, the great one that will speak the words of God is coming and he will bring you life. He will give you wisdom. He will show you how to live. And that he's also returning one day to make all things right. But the caveat is there's no relation or there's no wisdom without relationship. We wouldn't have had a guide in Thailand if we didn't first have a friend. And so then, are you a friend of Jesus? Are you in a covenant relationship with God? If you are, God has no judgment left for you. There is no anger or wrath in God. You are no longer his enemy. You are his friend. And he is for you. And he wants what's best for you. And the ethics of the kingdom are completely upside down from what we think. But they're better than what the world outside says we should be doing to be happy. So last week we said that that Jesus 
the fallen warrior. Jesus defeats death. He crushes the head of the serpent. He conquers death. Our greatest enemy is death, and, and it is defeated at the cross of Christ. But Jesus is also our wisdom. He is our trustworthy prophet. He speaks for God in a way that we can understand. So as we, as we take communion, as we reflect, one of the promises of communion is, is we take these elements, the bread and the cup inside of us. And it's a symbol that if you're a Christian, Jesus lives inside of you. His spirit lives inside of you. And every minute of every day, we have the opportunity to access the wisdom of God in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. So as we sing, I'd invite you to come and and take the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat and, and reflect on those areas of your life where you just don't have it figured out. Maybe you have big decisions. Maybe you have relationships that are broken and, and confusing. Maybe, maybe work is, is just really hard right now. Maybe because it's Christmas, you're just depressed and you don't know why. All of those things you need wisdom. All of those things you need to hear from God. And, and Jesus is here for us. Jesus is here to speak and lead and guide because he knows this place because he created it. He knows your heart because he created it. And he has something for you, I believe, whenever you ask for it. So let's pray. God, as we, as we work through this story of Advent, God, there are so many things that we need. We need freedom from sin and death. We need wisdom and guidance. We need leadership and protection. We need atonement. And God, the beauty of your gospel, of your good news is that we find all the things that we need in Jesus. So I pray as we anticipate the coming of Christ in Bethlehem, we celebrate every Christmas. And we look forward to the second coming of Christ to gather his people and sit on his throne vanquish his enemies and make this world new. God, help us be people that are living in that tension. Help us be people that recognize that we are loved, that we are in covenant, that you pursued us. You came after us. And for those of us that have bowed our knee to Jesus, you saved us. And now you offer us the wisdom of your scriptures, the wisdom of your spirit, the wisdom of your people to live a life that's markedly different from the way that Instagram and 
DirecTV and Netflix say that we should be living. God, as we worship you by remembering your sacrifice on the cross for us, I pray that you would just give us insight into who you are and what we need. God, everyone in this room is at a different place right now. Everyone in this room is reacting to the Christmas season differently, has a different set of struggles and challenges, has a different set of hopes and dreams, has a different set of big questions that they don't feel like anyone can answer. God, you can answer them. And we just pray that you would just pour your wisdom out on this place this morning. You would teach us and shape us and grow us into people that are fit for your kingdom as we await your return. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.